Hi guys, so in this episode, we will explore the characteristics of historical trade between Asia and New Spain, mainly through the case study of the Manila Galleons. So it must be first acknowledged that the trade derived from the Manila Galleons is often ignored in customary narratives expanding globalization, perhaps because as the Spanish Empire started to subside, Western powers put forth other geopolitical priorities. So first of all, can you give us some context about the time frame in which the Galleons were set up? So the year 1571 marked the birth of the world trade era, where the Portuguese had established themselves in the islands of Indonesia and on the shore of the South China Sea by sailing around the Cape of Good Hope at South Africa's southern tip. The Spaniards had disembarked on the archipelago of San Lazaro, now known as the Philippines. Spanish and Portuguese monarchs had been jostling one another for years. This succeeded after the Treaty of Tordesillas in 1494, the Spanish and Portuguese had agreed to settle geopolitical conflict through limiting their spheres of influence. The eastern regions could belong to Portugal and the western regions could belong to New Spain. The Magellan Elcano voyage, supported by the King Carlos of Spain, had provided the Spanish with valuable knowledge on the rich Asian trading scene and consequentially helped the monarchy set up trading routes between their Asian and American colonies. The year 1571 was also the year that Manila was founded by conquistador Miguel López de Legazpi, motivated in part by the spread of Catholicism. The discovery of the turnabout route between Acapulco and Manila further assured Philippines as a valuable source of trade. The Torna Viaje averted the peril of piracy, in addition to the significant savings of time and money. More importantly, it was the first time European ships could safely cross the Pacific in both directions, through what was called the Urdaneta route. Hence, the Manila Galleons, which would make one or two round-trip voyages a year across the Pacific Ocean between the ports of Acapulco in Mexico and Manila in Philippines, both regions under the Viceroyalty of New Spain. However, the journey was still hazardous, with one out of every six ships ending in catastrophe. Out of the 400 sailings of the galleons, 59 had ended in shipwreck. The, wo the voyage would be about 15,000 kilometers, the world's longest navigation route. This practice would continue throughout the 16th and 17th centuries. Alamazan, a historian, discusses that the Philippines was more of a colony of Mexico than one of Spain, because the only contact they had with their colonizing country was through Mexico. And on top of that, cultural factors contributed to their close ties, as the Spanish spoken in the Philippines was also Mexican-Spanish. Furthermore, Spain's dominion over Southeast Asia had been depicted as frail. As Gordon and Morales put it, the Philippines was seen and treated as the westernmost part of the Americas. Okay, now Lily, can you describe the cities of Acapulco and Manila before the trade? At a micro level, Reyes, a historian, describes the rise of world trade in Manila as nurturing a plethora of environmental changes and social and cultural innovations in perceptions, aesthetics, and representations. As Trammell puts it, Manila did not just encourage maritime trade, but also inspired a pre-modern search for a proper identity. Expectedly, the trade drew settlers and merchants into the city, rising from a population of 2,000 in 1571 to 41,400 in 1620 with more than half of the population being non-native. Manila Bay was also a populated area with m much resources and manpower to use as a viable framework to satisfy trans-Pacific relations with the Americas. The port of Acapulco was safe, deep, and in proximity to Mexico City, which made it into an ideal area for ships to be harbored and goods to be traded. 
However, the city itself had been described, described as being a, of no great importance before its era of trade. However, at the peak of its wealth, it had a population of 4,000, and during Galleon season, this reached 12,000 inhabitants. The Spanish wanted to guard their commercial monopoly with Asia from their po more potent European co counterparts. Thus, constraints were set in place to avoid other Europeans trading with Manila. However, this regulation was bypassed in many ways, allowing the Dutch, English, and the French to participate in trade. So now, Adri, what were the galleons? Even though the galleons sailed with hoisted Spanish flags, the crew and commodities they consigned were Mexican and Filipino. These ships were characterized by their large size, such as the Santa Trinidad, one of the largest ships of her day, as well as heavy armament and a grand cargo space. Some galleons could reach more than 2,000 tons. Most large ships were only a quarter of their size. In the early days of the trade, there was little administration and most goods went untaxed. However, the Spanish articulately protested against losing out on competition. Hence, the Spanish authorities limited the number of yearly Manila-Acapulco trips to one or two. At times, a large portion of the galleon goods were contraband so that merchants could avoid paying taxes. Trading connections were initially established through the Acapulco Fair, with different Spanish colonies and Peru, which allowed for the trade of gold and silver, as well as coca and other articles. Humboldt called it the most famous fair in the world. Imports from Asia were taken to Mexico City by mule to be sold, and the remaining goods would be shipped to Spain. The Manila Galleons was a true milestone for globalization, which happened more as a consequence rather than an objective of Spanish commerce. The Galleons interconnected trade between the four continents of Asia, America, Europe, and Africa. The nations bound to this trade would never be the same again. So tell us about the silver aspect of the trade. So Manila was a vibrant trading spot, possessing trading links with all of its Asian counterparts, including Cambodia, who supplied teak and shipbuilding timbers, China with its luxury goods such as silk and prized commodities from the Moluccas, India, and Japan. To start with, mainly foodstuff and textiles were traded by the galleons. However, after the 16th century, the trade of luxury goods started to take a fruition. The advent of an Acapulco galleon arriving in Manila would be lauded. The locals put on holiday apparel and crowded to the streets, joyously chiming bells. For numerous years, Mexico's biggest source of capital was derived from trade with Asia. Likewise, the export from Acapulco garnered 150,000 pesos to the Philippines treasury every year. After unloading important luxury goods at Acapulco, the cargo typically brought in a profit of 100% to 300%. Another crucial circumstance facilitated trade, La Ruta de Plata. China was not an autonomous producer of silver, which was the monetary standard of the time. Thus, the Ming Dynasty made efforts to reconstruct the economy by monetizing silver, transforming its previous paper currency system, which had collapsed due to overprinting, to metallic coinage. This factor corresponded with the rich supply of silver extracted from Peru, Mexico, and Bolivia. Consequentially, Asian products were often exchanged for American silver. Total silver produced in South America between the 1500s to 1800 is estimated to be at 150,000 tons, and about one-third of that silver ended up in China. The vacuum cleaner of silver, it seemed like the supply could never keep up with the demand. China also provided mercury, utilized in the extraction of silver. At its peak in 1597, the silver shipped to the Philippines from Spanish America reached 12 million pesos. Atwell had argued that Latin American silver played a critical role in the commercial and political growth of domestic China.
Okay, so what about the cultural effects of the galleons? The effects of the trade couldn't only be felt economically, but also reshaped entire cultures. The Orient's influence seeped into everyday life of Mexicans, who typically dressed in Chinese or Indian cotton goods, much to the disarray of the local textile industry. Spanish government records demonstrates that the loss of the Chinese silk industry could become a huge loss for Spain. Similarly, India had imported Persian rugs, damasac, and carpets through the galleons. Manila shawls made of floral embroidered silk, which are now important fashion items in Mexican folklore, were derived from Macau and Guangzhou, China. Its name reflects the route it took to arrive to Mexico. Chinese producers adjusted the design of the shawls to the taste and function of their Western buyers. For example, they added fringes to the cloth and modified the sizes. As the shawls arrived in Oaxaca, Mexico, it underwent changes in color and design made by the indigenous people. Food stuff from the Indonesian spice islands, such as ginger, pepper, cinnamon cloves, and nutmeg, became common food items on Mexican shelves, metamorphosing cuisine forever. Their value was higher than their weight in gold. As Gordon and Morales put it, no cargo packed more value into such a little space. Even peppercorns were used as currency. The spread of chocolate can be traced back to the galleons. The Mexican drink was consumed in silver mounts named Maserinas, which were promptly refigured into porcelain by Chinese manufacturers for an American and European market. Rubies, sapphires, and precious gems came from Burma, Sri Lanka, and Thailand. Japanese ships brought knives, swords, and gunpowder. Affluent Mexicans commissioned delicate blue and white porcelain vases from China as decoration, as well as distinct pieces of furniture made of lacquered wood, tortoiseshell, mother of pearl, and ivory. Ramon Diaz de Cantu emphasizes the prevalence of furniture. There was hardly a Mexican home which did not have some object of lacquerware in some, power, in some part of the house. Orientally sourced lacquered furniture was characterized by their symbolic design by themes of nature. The Viceroy Diaz de Armedaris received a folding screen called Biombu in Spanish, derived from the word Biobu in Japanese. Furthermore, ivory was sourced from Cambodia, Thailand, Burma, and artisanal works such as religious carvings from the prized material was commissioned to be made with specific design orders, transmitted through sketchers for the artisans to follow. Some of the most popular designs include figures of Christ, the Divine Infant, and the Virgin of Guadalupe. However, most figures contain oriental features and techniques reflecting their far eastern origins of the object. Some carvings even had Buddhist influence in their expression and posture. The majority of these figures were monastic orders to ornate churches, convents, and other religious institutions. The far reach of these objects played an important role in religious conversion and spread Christian influences. It reflected the effort of Christian missionaries from Spain who spread religious art as a form of evangelization. Many of these carvings were done by people of Chinese descent living in Manila and were masterful artisans. They constituted the commercial core of the city. Because of this integration, the number of intermarriages increased. Today, there's a huge community of Filipino people of Chinese descent whose ancestors were craftsmen. Fulfilling the demands of Spaniards and upper class of Latin America, crafters habituated themselves rapidly to the needs of their customers. Imitation became second-hand nature and cultural transfer. The first translation of 
a Chinese text to European language, took place in Manila in 1593. Another result of the Europe-America-Asia trade was the rise of a single widely used currency, that was the Spanish mill dollar, which was derived from Mexico and used throughout most of the East Asian regions, including Singapore. The Chinese called the coins Buddha heads because of the resemblance of the Spanish monarchs on the coins to images of Buddha. In Cavite, Philippines, a feast commemorating the patron of the galleons, Our Lady of Porta Vaga, is still celebrated. The Moriones Festival in Quipo, a celebration affirming faith in Catholicism, is also of Mexican origin. Today, the rice, tea, mangoes, tamarinds, hydrogeas, and chrysanthemums common in Mexican markets have been derived from trade with Asia. Many of these goods were sold in the market of El Parian, which was named after the original El Parian market in Manila. A clear trading pattern can be established. Firstly, Asian goods were highly prized in the Americas and Europe, but Asians had not yet developed a taste for European commodities. Secondly, silver was drawn into Asia. Thirdly, the trade system was linking industrialized Europe with sources of raw materials and markets in Latin America and Asia. Diaspora between Asia and Spanish America through Acapulco was substantial. About 40,000 to 100,000 people, mainly Chinese and Filipinos, migrated to Mexico. They were ma mainly sailors and took up professions of barbers, vendors, or dancers, tailors, and cobblers. This community is still present in the Americas today. So, how did the galleons end, and what was their legacy on the world? The galleons were hurt by smuggling, competition, and conflicts over shares and profits. However, the turning point was after Mexican won the War of Independence against Spain in 1815. The voyage of the 110 Manila galleons ended after 250 years of unbroken trade. Despite the thousands of kilometers that separated the two ports, their multilateral cultural influence is one that is undeniably strong and still prevalent in today's world. After, even after the trade ended, the Spanish dollar lived on until it was substituted by the Mexican dollar in much of the East Asian region. Today, the Chinese yuan and US dollar is derived from the Spanish peso. China was and still is the most potent economy and factory of the world, as stated by Gordon and Morales. The 21st century is not the West's first encounter with a rising China. Mexico City was the first world city, a place where people, goods, and ideas meet. In parallel with modern-day modern world cities such as Hong Kong, New York, and London, the spread of Catholicism, an original objective of the Spanish, also had a long-lasting influence on the values of, in East Asia. A pivot to Asia is being experienced by South American countries. The Silver Way can be seen as, a, as an heir to the Silk Road, which is partially inspired by Xi Jinping to carry out the Belt and Road Initiative, which parallel to the influences of the galleons have amplified trade, instigated economic development, and advanced globalization. The galleons also reflect the nature of maritime trade in light of the recent efforts for Singapore to sign a free trade agreement with the Pacific Alliance trading bloc for South American nations, Mexico, Chile, Colombia, and Peru. The silver dollar trade of the time parallels the digital economy exchanges of now.